Hi, everybody. Chuck here on a Saturday with my Saturday Selects pick from June 3rd, 2010. Uh, I think I picked this one because I just got done watching Once Upon a Time in Hollywood once again. Here is our episode, How Flamethrowers Work. If you've seen that movie, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, I uh, hope I didn't spoil it for you. So learn all about flamethrowers right now. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. Uh, I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. That makes this Stuff You Should Know. Right, Chuck? Yeah. Yeah? Jerry, just I love it when like we get last-second instructions. Yeah, and they don't make any sense. Just save it for the show, guys. Right, or show <laughs> that picture on the podcast, the audio podcast. Oh, goodness. How are you, sir? I'm fine. It's uh, by all rights Friday, but it's actually Thursday. But it's almost Memorial Day. Yeah, and we're not, are you coming in tomorrow at all? No? I, I, I'm not comfortable saying either way. Okay. <laughs> well, I guess that'll be a surprise. I don't want to get in trouble. Well, I'm not. I'm still scared of the man. I know you're not, but you're all like, hey, look at me. I'm 40. I make my own decisions. <laughs> I'm not 40. Yeah. So, Chuck... You're a George Carlin fan, right? Yeah, the late George Carlin. Yes, the late. R.I.P. Always, always add the bummer, don't you? Yeah. The late George Carlin. You couldn't be like, George Carlin, he's the greatest stand-up comedian ever. When no, he was alive, like he the was. Very, the uh, worm food George Carlin. <laughs> the, yeah. the dearly departed. Yes, I like him. Why? I have an obscure stand-up bit that I'll bet you haven't heard of that is uh, apropos of our topic today. Let's hear it. So George Carlin... Um, had a bit about flamethrowers. I never heard that one. He said that the very presence of flamethrowers, and I'm paraphrasing, sure, uh, the very presence of flamethrowers means that at some point, sometime, someone said to himself, you know, there's a bunch of people over there that I'd like to set on fire, but <laughs> they're too far away for me to get the job done. Right. I wish there was something that I could use to throw flames on them. Uh-huh. And as a result, we now have the flamethrower. Yeah. Which he, is kind of crazy. When you think about it that way, it is pretty interesting. It is. Uh, and when you start to really look into flamethrowers, you realize just how horrific the acts that humans inflict on other humans can be. Yeah. It's pretty it's pretty awful stuff actually. Yeah, when you I mean actually all kinds of modern weaponry. I know my brother-in-law's in the Marines. He told me about this I think it's called a flechette, some sort of bomb that like explodes above people and sends thousands of like razor blades shooting out. What? Yeah. I think it's mainly used for clearing uh like jungle. But um yeah, I, I can't clearing remember jungle of enemy combatants. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So some sicko thought that up. Yeah. Uh, we're like, what, one step away from the alien weapons in District 9. Yeah. Where people just blow up in an almost cartoonish fashion. Right. Yeah. It's coming 2015. Sure. The yeah. atomizer or something they'll call it. Yeah. Um, what's what's odd is that that person, that first person that George Carlin um, envisions, actually lived a lot longer ago than you would think. I was shocked. I was as well. You fifth, wanna, you fifth century it? B.C.? Fifth century B.C., man. Right. It wasn't, well, it was a flamethrower. It was a very crude, vulgar, if you will, flamethrower. <laughs> uh, it was a long tube, sort of like a blowgun, and they filled it with solid stuff like uh, hot coal and sulfur. Mm-hmm. And went, Pfft. yeah. 
Ideally, you don't suck in. That would be bad. No, I was thinking that, too. Like, you have to suck in the breath before you put the tube to your mouth or else right. you're in big trouble. Although that's the case with any blow, blow gun, right? Sure. Yeah. Did you ever make those when you were a kid? No, I never did. Right. I was too busy burning stuff. <laughs> uh, you could have done both, apparently. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah. So, yeah, they would shoot, I guess, um, hot coal or sulfur out at their enemy combatant. Right. Instead of a flame, per se. Yeah. Which I, I guess ultimately it, it it would bounce off of their arm and they'd be like, ah, it burns. Right. And then they'd just tussle and leg wrestle and, right. and shake hands afterwards right. and go eat a boar. <laughs> that's, that's how that went. Down. Life in 5th century BC with Josh. But leave it to the Greeks who were one of the brainiest, most um, thieving cultures of all time. Oh, yeah. They probably got this idea from the Chemites, frankly. But there's this stuff called... Um, Greek fire. Right. And actually, I, I can't say that the Greeks came up with it. It's called Greek fire, but the Byzantines, the, what we know as Turks, um, were, uh, were most notorious for using this stuff. Yeah, and that uh, they, they think, they're not sure because it was a long time ago, it was a mixture of uh, liquid petrol and sulfur and like stuff like quicklime. Petrol. Mm-hmm. It's British for gas. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. And um, they would pump it out, actually, from a, re- a reservoir through little narrow tubes. And like anything that goes from a big reservoir-type system to mm-hmm. a small, thin one, it would create pressure to shoot it out. Right. And then some unlucky guy would be the lighter at the end of it, and that would be like a real flamethrower, like dozens of feet. Yeah, as we're going to learn, anybody whose job it was to deal with any aspect of flamethrowing um, was the unlucky guy. Yeah, I would say so. It's one of the more dangerous weapons you sure. can use. Yeah. Um, but it was very effective. Number one, since it's oil-based, uh, it, it could this, this Greek fire could be used in naval battles Yeah, because it would still burn even when it contacted the water. Sure. Um, and so the Byzantines mounted it on their ships, these flamethrowers, yeah. um, on their ships and on the city walls around Constantinople. Yeah. And basically just repelled people out of fear as much as, you know, burning them alive. Yeah. I'm, they were, their enemies were really freaked out, I imagine, when they first saw, like, fire shooting at them. Yes. Freaked out and intrigued. Sure. Especially in the case of the Chinese. See, what the Byzantines had was a single action pump. You just did the foot pump with, like, you literally did the bellows. <laughs> do, you, do you see that? Uh-huh. Do you see that, Jerry? I'm following your command. <laughs> um, the, the, uh, the, the Byzantines had a single action bellows pump right. to where when you press down on the downstroke, it would push the liquid out, right? Yes, yeah, so you get like a burst of fire, and that's it. Right, because. On the upstroke, nothing was happening except right. it, it, the bellows were filling back up with air to, to press down, right. to compress, right? Um, the Chinese said, hey, that's, that's really funny because we have a double-action bellows yeah. to where you are compressing air um, on the upstroke and the downstroke. So instead of your stupid little short bursts of Greek fire, we have one long burst that yeah. just cuts you in half. Yeah, leave it to the Chinese. Make yeah. it all better. The wheelbarrow, the kite, the hang glider, the flamethrower. You name it. Gunpowder. Uh-huh. And actually, gunpowder um, equaled the demise of flamethrowers for about a thousand years, right? Yeah, as soon as gunpowder came along, all, all, they were like, eh, we're just chumps with fire when we can actually shoot a gun. That's, that's the way of, of the future. Right. And it was, but so was the flamethrower, as it turns out. Yeah, because it lay dormant for about a thousand years. And then in uh, World War One, actually right before World War One. The Germans, uh, a very warlike state at the time, were um, 
they said, you know, what exactly can we add to our arsenal that is just totally scary and wildly destructive? Yes. Let's look back through the annals of, of you know, historic weaponry and uh-huh. find something. And they looked through and they said, the flamethrower. Yeah, Richard uh, Fielder is an engineer in 1901. They're, they credit him with inventing it, but he clearly was using uh, old technology as the initial idea, at least. Right. It's a clever design, though, isn't it? Yeah. Because this, from this original design, um, there have been you know some polishing moments for the flamethrower over the years. But from that, from that modern era, the, the right. design has remained relatively the same, right? It's like a three-tank design. Yeah, the Flammenwerfer. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Nice. The Germans. That's what the Germans call it. The Lederhosen? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And it was, um, well, yeah, let's go ahead and explain how it works with the tanks. All right. And this is the handheld flamethrower, which is the one that's, I guess, was most readily used in combat. Yeah, and it's the one you see, like, a guy's wearing these tanks on his back, and he's got the rifle, and it's just... Right. Yeah. So you got two uh, outer tanks, and those are filled with the um, flammable fuel, oil-based petrol, if you will, <laughs> like Greek fire. Sure. And um, then there's a center smaller tank, which holds a compressed gas, like butane, and uh, it was it would feed the gas through a pressure regulator connected to the tubes. Right. And you can take it from here. Well, the uh, this is why I think it's very clever. The the butane served a dual purpose. One, it was compressed, so when you open the valve, it would push the the liquid fuel out of the tanks into the tube and into, ultimately in the gu- the reservoir and the gun. Yeah, right? the pressure regulator. Right. Is what they would but switch on. There is another tube that came directly out of the the third tank that held the compressed gas like butane. Yes. And this tube went directly to the ignition valve. Right. Right? So it served as the igniter later on. Right. The, it was Because it was the butane that was actually burning. Right. When you, um, when you open the ignition valve, mm-hmm. the butane flows to the end, mixes right. with air. The end of the rifle. Right. Sure. Um, and then there's, like, uh, there's two triggers. There's the fuel release trigger, right? Yes. And then there's the ignition trigger. And the ignition right. trigger is basically you're operating a battery that operates a spark plug, sends a current generates heat, right. ignites the butane, now you have whoo, that little blue flame on the end. Yeah, that's what you see in movies, like if you see them like traipsing around. The, yeah, exactly. You see the little, like, three-inch flame coming out the end. Right, that's actually butane burning. Right. The fuel hasn't been released. The hellfire has not been no. re- opened yet or no. released yet. That's when you squeeze, what's the, the fuel release trigger? Yes. And then... Well, yeah, then that pulls back a little valve plug because you obviously want it plugged or else you're going to have a big mess on your hands. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You'll be on fire very quickly. Yeah. So when you pull the fuel release trigger, it pulls the little valve plug back and then all the uh, fuel supply suddenly rushes through to the tip of the gun where the flame is Mm -hmm. and boom, there you go. In 1942, the uh, Army Chemical Warfare Service, I think is what it was called, um, they came up with a little something called napalm. Yeah. Which is ultimately a gasoline or petrol, Mm -hmm. in the case of Chuck and our British friends, um, a gasoline thickening 
agent. Right. So with a, a slightly thickened gas, uh-huh. you have a longer range. It right. carries further because it has more mass or girth or whatever. There's less <laughs> There's less friction from the ground coming up, right? Sure. Um, and uh, it, it also um, can be concentrated more easily. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. So basically that was one of those real big polishing moments. It went from just gas, which sprays, to thick gas, which sticks. Yes. And burns. It evaporates much less quickly, so it'll burn forever, and it's really difficult to put out. And if you get covered in it, you're entirely in trouble. Yes, you're out of luck. And uh, they would mount these on, um, well, PT boats for one. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen the, the videos of those things, like uh-uh. cruising down the river shooting napalm mm-hmm. into the forest? Well, I see a, a, there's a picture of it in the article, but yeah. I've never seen video of it. It's pretty wicked. Yeah. In and they call, them, they call them uh, Zippo flamethrowers right oh really because the ignition um system failed so frequently it's just like uh, on a gas grill would they have to light it with a zippo with a zippo you're kidding no and that's the other unlucky dude i guess yeah he'd be like don't get too close to it with his hand right and so flamethrowers it wasn't just some guy you know where it'd be like a bunch of infantry guys and then some guy on the end happened to to grab the flamethrower that morning when they went out and it's just, you know. Right, right. They were part of a tactical strategy. Yeah. What would happen was uh, riflemen would lay down cover fire. Right. Let's say you come to the mouth of a cave and there's a bunch of uh, enemy combatants in there and they're shooting you and and they have snipers and you're in big trouble. Oh, yeah. All your your riflemen lay down fire on this cave so those guys can't move. Cover fire. Right. Mm -hmm. To allow your flamethrower man to get close. He was highly susceptible at this point because right. of what he's wearing on his back. Yes, all it takes is one good shot to one of those tanks, and that guy's gone. Right, or a bad shot, just a shot. Sure, yeah, if uh-huh. you come in contact with it with the bullet. Yes. Um, but so the flamethrower guy gets close, basically cooks everybody, burns everyone to death in that cave. Yeah. Right? That's his job. Right. And then after that, the munitions guys come in and ex- explode the, the cave so it can never be used again. And that's Sayonara yeah. for cave dwellers. Yes. Uh, you know, speaking of a quick death, I, I've always heard when I was a kid, you know, that, you know, if you were a flamethrower in war, your average lifespan is like 30 seconds in combat. Is that right? Well, I always heard that, and I'd scoured the internet, and I could not find anything to verify that. But um, that's what I always heard. I thought that was an, an interesting tidbit. I did read that most people who were flamethrower operators didn't survive. I would imagine. It's a pretty dangerous thing to be toting around. Yeah, and they also had assistants because the assistants would open and close the valves on the pack for them. That was their whole job. It was always a two-man team. So both of them would usually not make it. I would, if I was the assistant, I would uh, turn on his little valve and then run for cover and then run up and turn it off again. Right. And I'd probably be pretty unpopular with the flamethrower guy. Probably. The flamethrower guy was well-liked because if you can take out an entire gun nest of people, oh, yeah. then you know everybody's going to applaud you and clap. and Sure. You know, probably not get too close, though, because you're going to die eventually. Yeah, I'd rather be a sniper, I think. That'd be – like I play Call of Duty. I got a PS3 now. Did I tell you that? No. Wow, Chuck. It was given to me by my uh, step, step – stepdad? No, father-in-law. You did tell me. My stepfather-in-law. Okay. And so uh, I, I got uh, just a couple of games. I'm not like a huge gamer at all. Like I think a Nintendo, like the first Nintendo was the last thing I actually owned. Mm-hmm. But um, I play Call of Duty now. I or, like uh, shooter games too. It's pretty fun. But you choose to be a sniper on that? 
Well, no, there are just certain levels where you can be a sniper. Like, you'll pick up a sniper gun if you want. Gotcha. And I always usually kind of just hang back and pick guys off. Yeah. Especially I, guys with flamethrowers. No. Here we go again. Two liberal peaceniks like us. When it comes to, like, this war stuff, we just get all giddy. Well, it is... This one, for some reason, uh, I was reading a passage about a flamethrower operator in World War II who, you know, um, received the Medal of Honor for um, invading a Japanese, I think they're called pillbox. It was a little gun nest. And burning them all? And burning them all alive. And, mm-hmm. like, the, the guy wrote um, that there were some muffled screams and then silence. Wow. It's like, you know, being burned alive is pretty much everybody's worst death. I would think so. It's up there. Well, we had worst way to die. That's right up there. And I think... I th- if I remember correctly, burning to death is consistently the number one uh, on like informal polls, right? I imagine it's pretty painful. And it happened a lot in World War One, Two, Vietnam. Yeah, I imagine Korea. It, this is a horrible weapon, you know. Absolutely. But you can find uh, civilian applications for it, can't you? Yeah. Well, before we move on to that, we also need to say that they were on tanks as well. So it wasn't just boats; they used them on tanks and. Uh, the design was basically the same. You just had a lot more fuel, and you had, like, piston rotary pumps to get a lot more uh, length on your shot. Girth. And girth. Yeah, the uh, the backpack-mounted ones right. ha- had a range of about 50 yards, right? Uh, or yeah, 46 so. meters. That's that's a long way, though. Yeah. It's half a football field. You don't have to get that close. Sure. Yeah. I wonder if the first enemy that was like, uh, he's got a flamethrower, but... We're way too far away. (laughs) (laughs) They were within like 45. Exactly. Yeah. Civilian applications. Um, Forced. Uh, forest fire fighters. Forest firefighters? Is that how you say it? I don't know. <laughs> they they actually use these uh, when they do the, like the, the prescribed burning. Like sometimes they'll burn. Well, not just the firefighters. They do prescribed burns anyway. Sure. And then sometimes the firefighters do that. They'll like burn a section to cut it off that, right, right there. Right. And they, that's what they do it with flamethrowers. Yeah. Which actually kind of made me want to go get a job with the forestry service. So you could burn things on purpose? Well, with the flamethrower, yeah. Did you hear about this car thing in South Africa? Theft deterrent system that burned you? No. Yeah, I don't think it's still around. This was like 12 years ago. And um, a a South African man invented, it was called the blaster. And basically it would shoot a man-high fireball, is what they called it. What? At you if you tried to break in to the car for a mere 3,900 rand, which is... uh, about six fifty, and this was nineteen ninety eight dollars. Hmm. No, it was like six hundred and fifty bucks. Okay, and um, it would squirt liquefied gas from a bottle in the trunk through two nozzles located under the front door. And the, the, the rub is, you couldn't um, turn one on and turn one off. So if a guy was breaking in to like the driver's side door, it would still shoot fire out of the <laughs> passenger side. Wow! To whomever might be walking by, unluckily on that side. That's a yeah. That's that's an invention that wasn't fully thought through i would think so but apparently he sold a bunch of them at the time and um he said it's non-lethal and but it would definitely blind a person is what he said and keep them from stealing your car yeah because they can't see cars any longer that's terrible yeah way to go south africa um lastly chuck fire breathers they're a form of 
they follow the basic principles of flamethrowing. Yeah. By drinking kerosene. Yeah. There you go. If you want to learn about uh, fire breathers, we have an article on them. If you want to learn more about flamethrowers, and before you send us a listener mail, we are aware of flamethrower exhaust systems. We've both seen grease before. Yeah. Um, you can type a, any word you want to in, into the handy search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. It'll yield something interesting. I guarantee you that. Uh, so, Chuck, listener mail. Uh, I'm going to call this, I love this dude, and his name is Guy. Okay. <laughs> and not as in, hey, Guy. His real name is Guy. I got gotcha. you. Uh, guy from San Francisco says, guys, just listen to the Art Theft Podcast. And by the way, we do know about the Paris heist that just went down. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yes. Uh, very intriguing for future monetary incentive. Neither here nor there. However, I have a little bit, a little habit that I thought I might like to share that loosely pertains. I have never stolen art knowingly. However, I do frequently and I'm subjected to, uh, I travel frequently and I'm subjected to much distasteful art. Guilty of being a budget traveler. So there's the rub. But to amuse myself, I like to take the horrible art off the wall, take it out of the glass and frame, and add the ever-so-slightest detail. <laughs> this guy's wonderful. He does this in hotels. A chicken in the corner by the barn, a seagull flying over the crest of a wave, a beer bottle and fishing pole by the babbling brook. I do it in every hotel, motel, hotel, hostel, bungalow, you name it, I will stay there and I will change the art. They have art in hostels now? Eh, probably not. Uh, it makes me chuckle to think that maybe one day someone will be staring at an awful hotel painting and look closely and notice uh, one of the gallant cowboys has a tin of skull by his left boot heel. <laughs> so, if you stay in cheap hotels, keep your eyes out, people. You may have stayed where a guy from San Francisco has stayed. Just don't turn on the black light. That's all, right. all I have to say. That's awesome. That is awesome, man. I love to hear people doing cool stuff. Vandalism. Yeah. <laughs> But it's it's vandalism with like an eye toward yeah. coolness. It's fundalism. Right. Well, if you're a starving artist who shows your work at the airport Hilton conference room, we want to hear from you. Just send us an email to stuffpodcasts at howstuffworks.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.